4: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. CTmobile.com.
5: Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications.
0: Welcome to Special Edition, I'm Paula Dagnan. Today we're going to find out about masks for everyone. U.S. Senator Pat Toomey has the details. What about all this time we're spending at home, working from home, basically being alone? And what about all the anxiety of bills and other things that the coronavirus pandemic, never mind health concerns, has been causing? Dr. David Palmiter will be joining us with some good tips and suggestions of what we can do in order to keep our anxiety at a low level. But first, we're going to start off by meeting two different people who have been diagnosed with coronavirus. We're going to meet the younger brother of Intercom's Doc Medic. He was diagnosed with coronavirus. We're going to find out how, when, and how he's doing now. But we're going to start off with Intercom's Frank Andrews and Mark Davis. They spoke with a woman whose husband was diagnosed with coronavirus, and she says it didn't have to happen
4: but first i want to read a facebook post this is from the the gentleman who is right now in the hospital he he posted this he said i'm positive the nurse just called me to confirm i can't describe the feelings i have right now feelings of betrayal feelings that this could have been avoided feelings like the state doesn't give a rat's rear end about me or my family right obviously frustrated his wife is on the line with us right now and heather before any other questions how is your husband doing today
6: um, he's having a lot of problems still breathing. Um, it's hard to, um, it's hard to explain. He's frustrated. He doesn't feel good. It doesn't, he's sick to his stomach because they did start him on malaria medicine that they're now using to treat people with the COVID-19. So it doesn't make you sick to your stomach.
4: And he is in the hospital, correct?
6: Yes, he is. He's at CMC.
4: He's at CMC. Now, have you also been tested?
6: I did get tested, I got tested on Friday. The results are still not back.
4: Wow, that's a long time to wait. Now, now Heather, why is he so frustrated? Why does he feel, why, why is he saying he feels betrayed?
6: There was a coworker in his office building that had it. and The supervisors were notified. They did not notify the other employees that they've been exposed to this. That they were also allowed, they should have been allowed to work from home. The job he has, the state should have allowed the the people to work from home versus going into an office building where the virus was.
7: Now that your husband's been diagnosed, have they told the other employees that he's also now a patient? I believe the only
6: way they're finding out is from his post online. They are not notifying the coworkers.
4: Well, are you comfortable to tell us where he worked so that maybe those those workers who are in that building would be concerned?
6: Um, he is a caseworker at uh, Welfare in Scranton. In the state, the,
4: one the, the, the state, state building. office building. Yes. Well, there's hundreds of people that work in there, and I, I would certainly hope that they have been informed. Has anybody reached out to you from the Pennsylvania Department of Health or the Governor's
7: Office?
6: They have not. I had
7: a reporter reach out to me, and that was it. Wow. Okay. And when was he diagnosed and hospitalized?
6: He was diagnosed and hospitalized on Sunday. Tuesday, or last Sunday, he called the CDC, the hotline they have for the coronavirus, and told them his symptoms because Saturday night he was not feeling well. Sunday morning he woke up with a fever of 102 and just not feeling well. So he called himself Sunday. They made an appointment for him Tuesday to go to the, across from CMC, they have, it's like an RV to so go in there and get tested. Right. Uh, Waited all week long, no results, no results. Saturday he called his doctor because he really didn't feel good still. So that had been a week, still no results, no nothing. They told him, you know, wait it out. He has asthma. So they told him, you know, use your inhaler, all your devices, you have your nebulizer. He used all that Sunday morning. He got up and he couldn't breathe. So he, we called 911. They came, they put the white suits on and took him to the hospital you have to the ambulance people have to protect themselves. And um, he, they swabbed him again at the ER. Now the next morning, he had his results back before noon. So if the ER can get your results back in 24 hours, why is it taking us weeks to get it back when we go to the RV outside?
7: Now is he in the ICU or just a regular room?
6: He's in a regular isolation room. Isolation Please, room. there okay. There is 16 other patients on the floor that have
4: 16 other patients on the floor now now heather you when i talked to you yesterday you were frustrated because you can't provide anything for him he's in isolation so you have no contact with him you're barred from even checking on your husband right right the
6: only thing we can do is we can uh, video chat that's it from our phones to each other that's
4: it may i ask you how old your husband uh, is and how old you are
6: I'm 41, and he is 43.
4: Okay, and you said he has the underlying condition of asthma. Do you have any underlying conditions?
6: I had brain surgery in November to have a brain tumor removed.
4: Oh, my heavens, Heather. And and you're waiting for these tests? Do they know that?
6: Yeah, because I've contacted my own personal physician.
4: Uh, do, Do you have children?
6: We do have children. Right now, they are not in the house and we've kept them away. They'll drop things off on the front porch and we we are trying to keep all contact with everybody away. The only people in our house is our dogs right now.
4: Is there anything you need or anything you want people to know? Anything that you need that would help you or your husband?
6: Right now, lots of prayers and reaching out to try and get answers quicker so that people aren't getting sick and not knowing what's going on.
7: And was there any... Word at your husband's office because he worked right up until Friday, correct?
6: He worked yeah, right up till that Friday.
7: Were there rumors, or was there a feeling that there was someone sick in the building or in the office, or was there anything going on in the office prior to him leaving on Friday and then getting sick over the weekend?
6: He had heard rumors, and they had been pushing and pushing, like the the other caseworkers have been pushing to get to be able to work from home.
4: Wow. This is an incredible story, Heather. I, I feel your frustration and, and I don't know if you heard the beginning of the program, but I, I just reached out to the state and said, we need to know what the responsibility of a company or agency is. If someone tests positive, when do the other employees, you know, when will should they be told in what time frame? And it shouldn't be like, well, we'll get to it sooner or later.
7: Right. And we're also going to ask something about whenever there's a serious situation with emergency management, usually they create what's called a rumor control line where people can call and say, I've heard this. Is it true? To try to get an answer, because even though these rumors were circulating in your husband's office right up until Friday, no one knew for sure if if the virus was present or not in that office setting in that building. Correct.
4: Now, now, Heather, what what is his spirits today? I mean, I mean, obviously in that text, uh, he was frustrated. He felt betrayed. He was, you know, kind of saying that the state kind of abandoned him. And, and now you say he's on the malaria drug, the the hydrochloroquine. Yes. Yeah.
6: What
4: what is his attitude? I mean, what is his spirit? Is he very weak? Is he able to talk to you? What what's his temperament? He's very weak.
6: It's gone a couple hours. Like. Yesterday, we were talking every hour. Now it's going every two or three hours. He's exhausted. He's having problems breathing, like getting up to go to the bathroom. It's taking all the air out of it. He's on oxygen 100, 100 times, 100% of the time.
4: And and how about you? Do you have any symptoms?
6: I do. I have a really bad cough, like my chest hurts. I'm hoping it's just a normal cold, but unfortunately, with him being positive...
4: Yeah. Heather, you can reach, you, you have my number, and you can reach out to me anytime for any help you need. There are people out there that will be praying now for your, uh, for your husband, for yourself, and anything we can do to help you, we will.
6: Okay. God Thank bless you. you.
4: Thank you very much. Okay, on the line with us right now is Steve from uh, SEIU, is that right, Steve? Yeah, hey, how are you doing? Good, how are you? And I believe we're talking about a gentleman that was part of your union, correct?
8: Yeah, um, so I I was given a heads up about what was going on on the radio from some of our members who, who work in the same workplace, and I, I just listened to the whole thing. Um, and yeah, I, I just know all the workers are devastated for Luis, and I just know that he's not the only person in in that situation in Pennsylvania right now.
4: Well, Steve, you, I mean, listen, you guys lay down your life every day as public servants. you you got to be frustrated as heck
8: yeah so i mean just to give some background so like, for, like first and again i want to make sure everyone publicly hears like um everyone's like thoughts and prayers are with Luis right now and when when the like workers across the state and Luis is one of a few thousand caseworkers like himself um just the i think the outpouring everyone saw share it shared on some of the social media posts i think like there was a lot of shared grief and a lot of shared concern um so As soon as coronavirus happened, I mean, the situation that popped up for a lot of our public services is once, you know, our work and our infrastructure really failed. um, People who were public servants who weren't always looked at as emergency personnel are suddenly being relied on to keep people alive, right? So, you know, in Luis's situation, like the type of work that our members do there, they they make sure people get necessary food and Medicaid um, while this is going on if they don't have enough money. Um, but on the other hand, these aren't offices that are really inherently equipped to handle a pandemic. So at least from the union perspective, we've been really pushing to try to get more situations with staggered shifting skeleton crews. Um, as wife had mentioned, as much telework as possible, but it's just a, it's just a really slow draw because I don't think, you know, our, most of our public services are just ready for it. So, so we have the workers situ- in a similar situation going into work every day because, they have to to make these things happen but um, we're concerned there's not enough adequate protection out there right now
7: what's the current situation of the scranton office building right now Are, are all those people still working where this gentleman had worked until last friday
8: so there's a staggered shifting
7: agreement in place um we've been
8: pushing to make sure that there's regular cleaning um but there's still workers going in on a on a a daily basis, yeah. We have them. We, we were able to at least get them into staggered shifts, where like about half of the workspace is reporting in. But we're like constantly so many, trying to make Steve. sure that there's at least social distancing and regular cleaning in the offices. But
4: now, Steve, um, if if, just, if Luis yeah. if Luis contracted this, you know, because of some contact in the building and somebody had it and he wasn't informed, are there other uh, members of your union, other workers who are walking around thinking, my God, I might have been infected and nobody told me. I mean, do you, are, is somebody telling you go get checked or or is there anything to, to kind of ease the tension and the anxiety of the workers?
8: I have to make sure to give like the, the biggest um, commendation and shout out to the workers themselves. Because um, kind of what was being mentioned, like a lot of the workers are sharing information with each other to make sure that they know each other safe. Um, I was talking with someone this morning, like 8 a.m., um, who, ha- who you know, works with Luis, who has similar symptoms. Um, and he's at home self-quarantining because he wants to make sure that no one else, you know, might get this. Um, but he's also still helping internally in the office folks communicate so they're aware. So we're trying to make sure that, like, at least all the workers are communicating with each other and encouraging folks, like, You know, people are concerned about their leave balances and things like that. But I think everyone's message to each other as much as possible is take care of yourself. You know what I mean? Like our biggest concern is people, you know, not dying in a a pandemic like this. So where other structures have failed and moved slowly, I think the workers have really stepped up to make sure they're watching each other's back.
7: And how many workers do you have left working in that building? Granted, on staggered shifts, but how many of your members are still working in that Scranton office building downtown?
8: Oh, I'd have to pull the numbers off, but I would have to say on a day-by-day basis, like probably over, over 50 each day, and that's conservative.
4: Wow. Now, Steve, have, have you been tested? Are, are you okay?
8: Now, just to be clear, um, I don't work in that building myself. Oh, okay. So I'm the president of a statewide union for the caseworkers. Um, so you know, uh, I used to be a caseworker like that in in Pittsburgh, right? Now, kind of full time, I help represent people. Um, but I know the workers in Pittsburgh and are in similar situations. We have workers in Philadelphia, in Lehigh, in every county that's in a similar situation. Hey, and then there them? are workers in smaller counties like that. You know, might have under. 50 people in an office, and they're still running at full complement.
7: Have you heard anybody else in the Scranton office building that may be suffering symptoms of the disease? Yeah, we're. I mean, yeah, we're aware
8: that like several people have at least have symptoms. Several, pe- several um, so people. Oh boy. Yeah, so we're waiting and hearing more on testing results, but we're just trying to encourage people. You know, especially at the workplace, if you're still going in, stay safe. You know keep as keep separate from people as possible. Um, and we're doing our best just to make sure at least that they're being asked to come to work. They're under safe conditions. How, but can, like, how can
4: we help you, Steve? What, what can we do to help you and the other workers?
8: Well oh, I, I, I mean, the workers really now, right now, especially knowing how much they're being relied on, really need the General Assembly and really need the Commonwealth um, and the department of human services to step up and just provide the basic adequate protection they need. If they're going to be expected to work, you know, throughout the entirety of this crisis um, and like be known as like emergency lifeline for people who are at home right now to make sure, you know, people don't starve. Um, they need to have telework as much as humanly possible. Um, there should not be more than like the most like, basic staggered agreements in place and um minimal crews right like getting down to like the bare minimum amount of people that need to be in the office people with compromised immune systems should not be being encouraged to go to work and then people should just be made to feel safe that if they don't go to work they're not going to like you know have any type of issues in the future right that they're not gonna they're not gonna be in a situation where they they might have to look over their shoulder for lack of income or or their job future. But, I mean, really, it's just the all, all the above approach that a lot of other places are, are going with. We know in a lot of ways that these services are going to fully shut down, just like 911 dispatchers and things like that. But if you're asking people to come into an office place, they, they deserve to get, like, top-notch care, top-notch treatment, top-notch cleaning, and top-notch
4: protection. No doubt. Well, Steve, thank you. Our prayers are with Luis and with uh, with all of your workers that are in the front lines. Thank you for checking in with us.
8: Yeah, thank you for letting me talk as well. And again, one more shout out for Luis. We all hope you're doing better.
4: Indeed. Thank you very much.
0: We too hope Luis and his family are doing better. Now it's time to meet another family member, the brother of Intercom's Doc Medic. Doc and Jesse had the opportunity to talk with Robbie about being diagnosed with coronavirus.
9: My younger brother, Robbie, who um, has retired from his main job, but also has a side job where he does construction and, and things around homes. A couple of guys he was working with tested positive for uh, coronavirus. One's doing pretty well, one's not doing so well. And then he started feeling sick, and we got him on the phone with us this morning, and constantly checking his temperature. So, how you doing this morning?
10: I just took my temperature; it's uh, ninety-seven point four, so I'm still below normal. You sound really good, though. It's just achy. There's no noise. Uh, my appetite isn't as strong as it's been the last few days, but I'm still eating. The temperature only went up Wednesday night. My wife Sole noticed I had a cough. I didn't think much of it, and then Thursday night, about twenty-four hours later, that's when I felt the achiness, the thing in the back of your throat. No sneezing or anything. Just a. A little runny nose but the achiness that would have been thursday wake up friday it was a different ball game it felt like you fell down a flight of stairs
6: does it feel like the flu
10: yeah i haven't had a flu in a couple of years but that's what it feels like there's no nausea i think with the flu some people actually start getting sick
9: do you feel congested
10: very little, but again, it's allergy season up here now, too, so that might have something to do with it. I think I'm faking it. I got allergies. Not <laughs>
9: <laughs> you and I were talking on Thursday and everything was fine, and then Friday you were telling me how you really weren't feeling well, and you were saying, I think I got it because you worked around a couple of guys, right?
10: Yeah, I just retired from sanitation, but with my side business, I hired two guys. I do it for home remodeling, carpentry and stuff. That building where they were in, it got shut down because there was a carpool of guys who live upstate, and about two weeks ago, one of them got got sick and then everybody saw the joke and i probably got coronavirus well it turns out that's what it was so by the time they figured it out it spread out through about 80 guys so now you oh have my a whole goodness bunch of guys out of work they tested positive wednesday and thursday of last week the week that just passed and then saturday went up to noro to get tested let the state runs the drive through i got my results sunday morning and then it was positive
9: tell us the um what it was like when you went to uh tell us what happens you drive up and what happens
10: oh man it, like that scene in et where uh <laughs> in white suits. Everything is cordoned off. It's run very professional. It's, there's no panic or anything. It's the National Guard, the state police, and the county. And you first pull up, and it's two National Guards with we'll the dust mask on. And I showed him my ID, my badge, and he's like, alright, come on through. So you go to the next guy, he takes your information, just writes your name and your phone number, and then puts it on your windshield. It you looks like you're isolated. Your windows are up, and it's just a very odd feeling.
9: You're showing your ID actually through the window to them. Your window's not down, right?
10: Yeah, you have to put it on the dashboard so they can get the information off of it. And and then you go to the third tent, which is the one you're probably seeing on TV. It looks like a catering hall tent. That's when you can finally roll your window down a little bit. These people are so professional. The National Guard and anything. If you watch the news, it sounds like mayhem, but it's so well done. And the guy's just a regular guy, you know. He sounds like somebody you would hang out. He actually asked me, he goes, hey, you know what guy named Benitez? Uh, I'm a green. He, he left the Marines. He went to sanitation. I said, uh, I plan him by sight. but he's the one who gives you the swab. It's about a seven or eight inch long swab. It's very thin. It's plastic. And on the end, looks like a Q-tip. I guess to get the sample, you turn your head away from him. You look straight out your windshield because he's coming in from the driver's side. It goes up your nose oh. and then it goes back into your nasal cavity. Oh! <laughs> what are you hoing about? It's not bad. Oh, that sounds brutal. Did it hurt? No, it's not. That's why he told me to look straight. He said, if you feel like you're going to cough or sneeze, just make sure you keep your head straight because you don't want to, you know, shoot it this way.
6: Seven or eight inches from my nose is my brain. Did he touch no, your brain? No. That's, That's what it good. feels the like. piece
10: is that long. It only goes in about three inches.
9: So you're done with that part? Right, then what happens?
10: After you get tested, you roll your window up, and then you roll up to the end of that tent. That's when this guy comes up. He explains to you what you can do, what you can't do, what number you got to call, go on the website. It's a piece of paper with that information. He puts it on your windshield, but he says, when you get out of here, and I mean, when you get out of here, then you get out of your car. Don't don't pull over now,
9: and right. it, just in case. So,
10: And that was it. Then I came home and uh logged online. I got my results. I was tested at 12 o'clock. I had my results the next morning by 8 o'clock.
9: And not the results you wanted. Well,
10: what are you going to do honestly i think there's a lot more people out there especially in new york city who are going to get it that's the reality of it the reality is there's a lot of unhealthy people i'm a firm believer that the ones who are really getting affected by this have underlying conditions one of the two guys who worked for me he was a smoker and he's having a tough time now he's not in the hospital but he's dragging on you know he's got a lot of pain in his lungs it's more respiratory i quit smoking years ago that's (coughs) good you know
9: And then today, you're
10: taking Soleil? Yeah, I called up and I told them I was tested positive and that Soleil is showing signs. We live together and the guy goes, all right, we're going to get her up on the list because you tested positive.
2: What are you
8: doing now? You're just kind of hanging out at home. Did they give you like how long you need to be home or anything like that?
10: It's a 14-day quarantine from the time uh, you got tested.
9: I hope you feel well. You know, I'm going to stay in touch with you throughout the days here to see what's going on, how you're doing. But uh, thanks for giving us a call this morning. You got it. Uh, Social distance and wash your hands. You know it. That's my... uh, um, younger brother, Robbie, so yeah, I did test positive.
0: That's how it all began. Now, one week later... How
9: you feeling, Robbie? I'm feeling much better. Uh, everything seems to be breaking up in my lungs. No fever,
10: no aches and pain. My wife has me on garlic tea, which is like drinking a slice of pizza. It's
9: really... Oh, that sounds disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> terrific. But you said you tested positive again, right? Yeah, this time, I think the first one was uh, nasal swab.
10: goes back in the sinus cavity. It was kind of deep. This one, it's a swab on each side it's not as deep and then also they do another test which is like a throat scratch so they put the tongue depressor down and they take like a little sample in the back of your throat so i think this one is more invasive it's really trying to find it it was only a week since i tested positive so i think it's still in me you know a little remnants of it but as far as physically i feel much better my lungs just like i said it's starting to clear up
8: and the last time we talked to you you said that you were taking your wife to get tested what were her results
10: She was negative, thank goodness. She, I'm keeping an eye on her, if she sneezes or, you know, even a sniffle, but she's fine. It's allergy season up here, so she does get that a little bit. She'll sneeze like once a day. But she doesn't have the dry cough. She doesn't have a fever. She doesn't have achiness or anything. So it really is a miracle.
9: When you were in New Rochelle on Sunday, are the lines a lot longer now for testing? They were, and it was kind of sad because now
10: they're really, like when I first got tested, which would have been nine days ago, they were kind of letting everybody in. Now there's so many people showing up. You have to have an appointment. And it takes a while to get the appointment. You're going to be on hold a while. So I think some folks just were told, no, I just drive up, they'll let you in. But there was a lot of cars in front of me that were making U-turns.
9: I saw that um, I was watching last night on the news, and obviously New York's turning over the test results great within 24 hours. They're saying in LA yeah. it's like seven days to get results.
10: I think once they kick into high gear, this technology that's here, or however it works, once it gets there, it's going to be, um, they'll be getting results a lot quicker. So I, I think I was exposed to this about a week and a half, two weeks before. So people were like, I feel fine. If you ever think about it, how many people you before this whole thing went down, in a normal day, how many people you come in contact with? You don't even realize it until you sit and think about it. Like, holy cow! I just went out to check the mail, went to the store, get gas, went to work. You know, there's so many people, and you multiply that, and then where will they come in contact with too.
9: Right, and then but, everything you touch along the way that you never realized before. You know, door handles and. Mailboxes yeah. and anything and your face. And your face. How many times a day do you touch your face? <laughs>
8: oh, please forget
9: it. All right. Well you feel better, Rob. I'll check back in with you later on. Alright, I'll talk to you soon.
0: And that's a great update from Robbie. Now don't go away. More special edition to come, and we'll be joined by Dr. David Palmetter. Welcome back to Special Edition. If you are a frequent listener to Special Edition, you may have heard Dr. David Palmiter join us on numerous occasions when it comes to dealing with those times that might be a little bit more difficult and much more than we can handle. We're in one of those times right now, and he stopped by with Intercom's Webster and Nancy to give us all some good tips on what we can do to try and keep our anxiety levels at a minimum.
5: Dr. David Palmiter. Uh, Dr. Palmiter is a psychologist and professor at Marywood University. And uh, Dr. 1st let's just say thanks for being on the show with us this morning. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, and we were talking about this. We've been talking about this in the, the last couple of days, and we mentioned it yesterday on the air. Uh, you know, our listeners, we, we get text messages and we get phone calls, and, and uh, the, regarding the COVID nineteen situation and their anxiety and, and uh, borders, sometimes uh, is borderline hysterical. Uh, we've had listeners in tears on the phone. Uh, so uh, I mean, I guess a certain amount of anxiety is normal and to be expected. But are there anything Is there anything at all that can be done in terms to cope with that? Because there are people who are, you know, they. Get get a couple of facts and and figures, and then they let their imaginations run wild, and it doesn't end well for them.
3: Well, I can go on about 20 minutes to that question. Let me (laughs) me try to be brief. I, I think there's a difference between bravely concerned and seriously freaking out you know gravely concerned we have an accurate appraisal of the situation and we're trying to take sensible precautions with self-quarantine and so forth the recommendations we're hearing but seriously freaking out i mean it's a it's an apocalyptic event you know at home we're not it's an apocalyptic retreat not a you know potentially welcome staycation and we're we're just completely losing it, and especially I think people who may have, before COVID hit, struggled with some dosing of anxiety. I mean, there's three aspects of COVID that real, that anxiety preys on, like a vulture on carrying on the highway. Uh, it preys on the fact that, that the stakes are big, you know, medical and financial. Second, that a lot of it still is unknown. You know, the, the anxiety really preys on that. And third, most of it's outside our control. So those three factors together really are a rich minefield for anxiety lines to, to be laying, and, and we walk into them all the time if we're not careful.
2: Right, now what about the, the fact that many people are, are dealing with this alone? So you think about people who, uh, if you're with your family, at least you can talk to each other, but then there are people who are by themselves, they may be high risk, they can reach out on the phone, but there's no real physical contact or uh, comfort in that way.
3: There are, however, many kinds of opportunities for video conferencing. Zoom, people should download the Zoom app and become familiar with all the opportunities. For instance, this Sunday, there is a free online seminar on self-compassion, which is a key, key, key thing to be doing right now as all of us grieve different kinds of losses. I just tweeted out this morning, about 20 minutes ago, the link on my Twitter feed, um, Helping Parents, that free seminar. And there's all kinds of seminars and social contacts being organized through Zoom. It just takes a little Google searching to find them. And certainly with other friends and family. that makes, uh, Zoom has, offers free accounts. You know, you can, you can have a call last for 40 minutes without paying a nickel. So, I, and also mental health providers. Most mental health providers, like myself, are providing video conferencing services that are insurance reimbursable.
5: All right. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, you sort of touched on it for a second there, but, uh, you know, when the parents are talking to kids, I mean, obviously parents, they want to make sure that the, you know, their kids are following the guidelines and, 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 you know, wash their hands and touch not touch things and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but is there any tried and true go-to thing that you can, I mean, because kids, you know, their imaginations also run wild and all they need is a little hint of something before they too are seeing what boils down to the boogeyman.
3: Yeah, I have a a video on my YouTube channel that addresses some things low hanging fruit first is to pursue my own adjustment because if I'm seriously freaking out I'm not going to be able to hide it no matter what I say it's going to come out to my kids so I have to have a realistic appraisal myself and be centered that's number one like the oxygen mask they drop on the plane goes on yourself before your kid second I want to adjust what I tell my kid based on their age and their vulnerability the younger the kid the more they might be symptomatic the more I'm still selective in the truths that I speak. I never lie. My my credibility with my child is too important long run, but it's selective truth-telling that I engage based on my kids' age and vulnerabilities. And then I'm also looking for the treasure that all dragons guard. You know, COVID's a terrible dragon, and for some of us, it's it's causing things like death or threats of death. And, And so it may be impossible in those situations to see the treasure, but for many of us, there can be treasure that begins to to make itself known during this time, for instance, the the staycations were engaged. You know, Google search of staycation activities will yield so many different things that families can do. You know, cupcake baking contests, uh, you know, balloon baseball, yeah. um, all, watching old family videos. So yeah, you, know, you can go on and on. Yeah, they
2: they, those, they do say that. So in some ways um this can bring people closer together if we want to look at the bright side about you know families uh, being cooped up together 24 7 for an extended period of time
3: yeah i i if you want to you know we think about wellness as existing on a tripod of physical activity sleep and nutrition and i think covid adjustment could be exist on a tripod too of three things authentic grieving because we're all experiencing some loss, loving kindness towards self and others, and mindful acceptance. You know, much like if if you've seen the movie A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood about Fred Rogers' life, there's an illustration of a guy who manifested mindful acceptance, manifesting to each other that you're okay as you are. I'm okay as I am it makes sense that we're hurting. This is a real, you know, we're experiencing real losses and to be self-compassionate about those things and compassionate with each other. Maybe we, you know, one of the exercises I sometimes have families do is to write a gratitude letter. You know, each week during this crisis, there's one family member that's the focus and everybody else writes a 300 word handwritten letter of gratitude towards that person and expresses it. So yeah, but grieving is an essential part of this, to take the time to, to experience the breath and depth. I can't just steamroll over my feelings and they become zombified. And I become like a, an episode of The Walking Dead with my feelings coming out in surprising places and ways, mm-hmm. or crawling into a bathtub, or those kinds of things. You know, So I, I need to do some authentic grieving with whatever loss I'm
6: experiencing.
2: What what do you say to people who are on the front lines? Um, we're talking now about a lot of the people at home and certainly when they go home, it would be good to, um, you know, do those things as well. But, you know, they're dealing with a stressful job that is additionally stressful, sometimes working way, you know, over the um, hours that they maybe normally do and obviously concerns as well.
3: Oh, bless them all, right? Bless them all who are listening for the service that they're doing. I, I would, if I was in their shoes, I, I, and I've been in overextended circumstances before, you try to keep your mission in mind. You also try to keep in mind that, as the character Dirty Harry said famously in one movie, a man's got to know his limitations. You know, we all have our breaking points, and to try to not to go past mine in my service of a very important mission, and to manifest self-care and self-compassion through it all.
7: Would you
5: have any advice for people who, you know, are consuming media, who, uh, you you know, because media is not shy about uh, uh, an attention getting headline, you know, to promote clicks or listens or or views. Uh, Would you have any advice for people who consume media uh, in the way they consume it and uh, uh, in the way in which they take it to heart?
3: I love that question. It's so important. We have
5: to limit our exposure,
3: and also every. I recommend all my clients. I tell them every day or two, just do a Google search for "good news COVID," and and I'm the, you know, you're not tuning into the wackadoo blogs, but, but the science-based websites. You know, for instance, like we heard the estimate that. It's going to be between a projection of 100,000 and 240,000 deaths from COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, gravely concerned. And if you're one of those deaths, it doesn't matter what the percentages are. It's, it's completely devastating. At the same time, trying to stay in the middle ground, that represents 0.03 to 0.0% of the United States population. Mm-hmm. Whereas we, we, 0.11% of the population dies from cancer. 026 of the population dies from heart coronary disease yeah. so gravely concerned yes seriously freaking out this isn't a meteor coming to earth where it's going to wipe out us and all the dinosaurs you know it's, <laughs> it's just not that
5: that's an excellent way to, to look at it doctor i, I think that's terrific and, and i think your advice about actually seeking out good news it would be helpful i think that's that sounds like a, an excellent plan because uh media gener- like i said it's about promoting clicks and views and listens and, and good news doesn't sell nearly as well as bad news does
3: here in controversy sell, right, in America. I mean, the media is a mirror to us, so, you know, we, have, we only have to look within to search that out.
2: And we have seen uh, stories and heard stories throughout this of people uh, rising up and, and just doing great things, and, and I think that helps people to, you know, want to do more and restore their faith in humanity.
3: Oh, people are beautiful. You know, uh, the, the the goals that people have are so. Where well, we get messed up sometimes are our methods for pursuing those goals. But people have fantastic intentions, and sometimes this kind of dragon brings that out of people more.
2: Okay, let me let people know how to get in touch with you, uh, Dr. Palmiter, should they want to uh, do one of these video conference or, um, you know, talk to you about uh, issues. uh, Where could they get in touch with you?
3: Uh, The easiest to remember would just be to go to my website, helpingfamilies.com. I also have a YouTube page with some videos on COVID at kidsandcouples.com.
2: Right. And they're very helpful and they're on different issues. Couples also uh, how to talk to your children. Dr. David Palmiter, psychologist and uh, professor. Thanks so much for being with us today and spreading some positive news.
0: Thanks again to Dr. David Palmiter joining Intercom's Webster and Nancy. And I think many of us feel that way and he does have some good suggestions. If you'd like to find out more, again you can contact Dr. Palmeter by checking out his website helpingfamilies.com and he also has some videos up on COVID-19 at his other website kidsandcouples.com. One of the things many people are trying to figure out is how they can help during this time and U.S. Senator Pat Toomey will be joining us to tell us about masks for all. Don't go away. Welcome back to Special Edition. Some of the events that we've talked about here on Special Edition unfortunately had to be postponed or canceled, but one is still going on with a slight change this coming week. The Easter Food Basket Giveaway drive through Only with the Family to Family Food Basket Program and Friends of the Poor in Scranton will be held this coming Tuesday, 10 until 5, but the location has changed. It's going to be happening at Scranton High School. Now it's time to get back to Special Edition, and Intercom's Webster and Nancy had a chat with U.S. Senator Pat Toomey about many things, including the Masks for All initiative. Let's
2: talk to U.S. Senator Pat Toomey. Uh, Good morning, Senator Toomey. Thanks for being with us.
5: Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. So I'm looking at a story here. President Trump declared uh, Pennsylvania a disaster, a major disaster, uh, Monday night. Uh, What does that mean in terms of the federal response in the state of Pennsylvania now?
1: Well, I think it's going to give some flexibility to the governor and the the federal government um, to work together for the federal government to provide some resources uh, on an emergency basis uh, to the Commonwealth. Uh, uh, But I am sure that it's going to mean more resources for Pennsylvania.
4: Okay.
2: All right. Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about uh, this mask for all movement. Uh, you, I guess, uh, released a video about it, uh, and you're encouraging people to wear a homemade mask or a facial cover, which seems to go against some of what we had been hearing, uh, you know, uh, just a month or so ago about you know not wearing masks. Tell us uh, what you're doing.
1: Yeah. So there's no contradiction here. Um, the important distinction is that what I'm not recommending is that people go out and buy the N95, the very high quality surgical grade masks that we really need to save for our healthcare providers because we know that our healthcare providers come in steady, extended, regular contact with people who have the virus, and so they're at great risk, and so they need the very best protective equipment. What I am suggesting is really just an extension of the common sense that we use, and we take it for granted that uh, it's safer for the people around us if we cover our nose and mouth when we sneeze or when we cough. And for the obvious reason that when you sneeze or cough, these small droplets uh, escape your mouth and nose. These droplets contain the virus if you are infected and you can be infected without knowing it. And, And therefore, you wouldn't want to spread that around. Well, the fact is when we just talk and breathe, we are releasing small droplets, and that can be a very major source of transmission. So I'm simply suggesting that we adopt the norms that, frankly, have been very per- pervasive and successful in other countries of just wearing even a homemade mask, um, a bandana over your nose and mouth. It could be really uh, almost anything will at least diminish the likelihood that these droplets would will uh, Uh, be inhaled by someone else and therefore we can reduce the rate of transmission so um, the way i think about it is um, my mask makes you safe and your mask makes me safe Uh, the wearer of the mask is not uh, guaranteed that that he or she is not going to contract the virus but if we were all wearing masks there would be far less of the virus floating around and so that's why i'm uh, i'm pushing this hard
2: I think one of the reasons is also because they're asymptomatic, right? I mean, we're seeing that you can be asymptomatic for, what, seven days, if not more. So uh, somebody, you know, thinks, oh, well, only if I'm sick, I should wear it. But because of the fact that there are people who won't feel sick and still have it, it's that protection.
1: You're exactly right. Uh, And not only uh, can you transmit the virus with, while having no symptoms yourself but it turns out that one of the factors that the scientists look at for determining the risk of passing on the virus is what they call viral load it's it's uh, I, I think of it as kind of the, the density of the virus uh well it turns out that the viral ro- viral load in a person who's been infected gets very high before they show any symptoms And so you're actually at the peak of your um, ability to transmit the virus uh, right about the time that you begin to show symptoms. And prior to that point, you were very able to pass on this virus. So the fact that you have no symptoms doesn't tell you anything about whether you've got the virus. And for that reason alone, it just makes a lot of sense. Until this this danger has passed, uh, we ought to be wearing masks in public. And you know the the uh,
5: there are some Facebook pages where people are have, are, are gathering uh, groups and actually making masks of their own. But in the video that you put right. out, it was actually it was just a simple bandana. So this doesn't have to be very involved, as you said, right?
1: Well, it doesn't have to be. Um, there's there are, as you point out, in 15 minutes, if you know how to use a sewing machine and you have scissors and a piece of cotton cloth, you can make a mask that uh, actually they they look amazingly professional when uh, when folks have done this, but. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do that. I mean, as I say, a bandana would at least be um, somewhat helpful in reducing the, the spread of um, these droplets.
2: Yeah, Politico has a story about this today, and it, and it talks about the fact that, um, you know, at first the administration was against it. And it could possibly be because you didn't want people going out and, and buying what our healthcare professionals and first responders need. Do you think that we might see some kind of a change where they will adopt uh, that kind of a policy and ask people to do that when they go out?
1: I hope they will. I think, I think, as I say, it would make us all safer. It would reduce the rate of transmission. I did speak with the, uh, the head of infectious diseases at the Centers for Disease Control, and he agreed with my premise. He agreed that uh, there would be a reduction, most likely, in the rate of transmission. Uh, and he uh, said that they would be having internal discussions about whether or not to change the guidance. Now he was also quick to point out that if you read their language very, very closely, you'll realize that it does not recommend against, it does not suggest that people should not wear homemade masks in public. It doesn't say that at all. Um, but the way, the way a person might read it might think that they're, they're discouraging that. I don't think they actually are, but I think they should provide the clarity that while we should save the top grade surgical quality masks for healthcare providers, the rest of us should cover up as best we can.
2: I believe I saw that question asked yesterday at the Coronavirus Task Force and it sounded like he might be the president might be leaning towards something like that so maybe we'll hear something about that in just a little bit uh, can i just quickly ask you about uh, hospitals in pennsylvania have you uh, gotten any kind of briefing on how uh, we are uh, dealing and they are dealing uh, with the situation in pennsylvania
1: well i'm i'm in regular communication with many of the hospitals uh, around the commonwealth and i think the short version of uh, if i could generalize of course it's not the same for all of our hospitals Uh, except one thing is the same. They're all in really tough financial situation because they pretty much all of them have had to suspend elective surgical procedures. And that is a significant source of revenue for hospitals. And since they're not doing it, they're not generating that revenue. So that's a big problem. They're all in a, in a difficult spot financially. I'm not aware that we have any hospitals that have reached the, the point that New York City has had, where they're just really uh, beyond capacity. I think we still have capacity in Pennsylvania. Uh, Thank God we're not in that position. I hope we never get to that position. Um, So uh, one of the things that was a really important part of the legislation we just passed was uh, really two categories of very, very substantial sums of money for the hospitals. One is a $100 billion program that hospitals can apply for, And money, I was speaking to the White House coordinator of this program just yesterday. This money is going to be going out the door very soon, directly to hospitals to get them through this period. Uh, But in addition to that, there's $150 billion that is going to the states in proportion to states' populations. And governors have only one criteria on how they must spend that money, and that is spend it fighting the coronavirus. And funding hospitals is a uh completely acceptable category uh for that purpose so if you take those two items together and and i should be clear uh there are other ways that governors are fighting the coronavirus so i'm not suggesting that all 150 billion of the dollars that they control are going to all go to hospitals i'm i'm very confident much of it will but not all but these two items together it's a quarter of a trillion dollars in just one bill that we have uh uh, we are making available either directly or indirectly to health care providers, including hospitals. So I'm hoping that's going to go a long way in keeping our hospitals fully geared up, fully staffed, and fully able to deal with this virus.
2: U.S. Senator Pat Toomey, thanks for spending some time with us this morning. We appreciate it. Hopefully we'll uh, chat with you uh, again soon uh, about the situation as it continues.
1: Sure. Thanks very much for having me. And remember, masks all right. for all.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Special Edition. I'm Paul Ledegnan, and I would like to thank our team at Intercom for reaching out to those who have the information that our listeners need so that we can pass it along to you here on Special Edition.
4: Over 30 years ago, Rotary made a promise to the world, a promise that we would eradicate polio. With the help of our partners and friends, we've made incredible
9: progress toward that goal. So today we find ourselves on the brink of completely eradicating polio from the face of the earth. When, not if, we get there, it will be only the second time in history that a disease affecting humans has been eradicated. The Gates
3: Foundation believes that every child deserves a chance to live a healthy, productive life. That's why we're so excited about the partnership we have with Rotary International and the Global Polio Eradication Initiative in the final push to rid the world of polio. Together, I'm confident we'll achieve a
9: polio-free world. Let's drop to zero.
0: Let's drop to zero. Let's
9: drop to zero.
4: zero. Rotary District 7410 of Northeastern Pennsylvania continues this effort to rid the world of polio. Come join us. Visit inpolio.org.
5: Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. A production of Intercom Communications.
4: T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours